Hi there, my name is Nathan, and this is the first episode of my new podcast, Curator Number 135. First, the obligatory introduction, which I promise to get through as quickly as possible. I've been married for 20 years and have two children, one boy who's 13, and one girl, 11. I'm an only child with a half-brother I've never met. My father, whom I consider one of my best friends, lives three miles shy of 2,000 miles away in the southern part of Arizona. My mother, whose relationship with me was a loving, often turbulent roller coaster that was growing stronger in recent years, died, unfortunately, after a long battle with Parkinson's in early 2020. She was just 68. It was an awful start to an interesting year. I worked in radio for over a dozen years, which was my dream come true. However, a bad career move, paired with the birth of my children, landed me in the role of stay-at-home dad. Eventually, I started my own wedding and event DJ service, which I still dabble in today, although not as often. Thanks, COVID-19. Five years ago, I took a job at my wife's school as media aide. Mediate is like a librarian without the fancy degree and proper training in the art of shushing. Yeah, librarian by day, DJ by night, like the world's worst superhero, polar opposite jobs on the noise meter. The job at the school, which is a K-8 steam school, has brought on new interests and loves while rekindling old ones. I love books. I want to be a writer. After 30 partially finished manuscripts, I think I've got the one that could actually become a real book. I've paid an editor, I've let people actually read my work for the first time ever, but still, something is holding me back. That's my problem in a nutshell. I'm afraid to fail. What if I put years into something that I think is pretty great, friends and family seem to like it, even if they have to say that, but what if? What if no one wants to publish it or read it? So I've stayed an idea man, continuously trapped inside my own brain, a thousand ideas that may never see the light of day. The what-ifs and the hyperactive, obsessive nature of my brain are what landed me here. Sidebar. I'm actually diagnosed OCD and ADHD with a sometimes manageable side of severe depression. It's a delightful potpourri. Curator number 135, a place where I can write, talk about, produce, and share all of the things that go on inside my brain, a combo platter of all my passions. So by now, you'll have a better understanding of how I came up with the subject matter for the first episode. I sat up in bed until nearly 4 a.m. last night, the light from my iPhone boring a hole into my brain, and tried to come up with a way to merge the last three things I thought about into a podcast for young and old. Interesting to kids from 1 to 92. Episode 1. A trunk, a king, and some tiny Christmas elves. We could also call this episode How to Create Your Own Mythology and or Folklore. I have had in my possession a family tree that was pieced together by my dad's aunt and uncle. This was pre-Ancestry.com, pre-internet, even pre-me. In the early 1970s, my great aunt and uncle actually traveled through Norway and all over America, including copious amounts of time spent in my family's original landing spot, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, assembling this family tree by hand. This tree goes all the way back to my great-great-great-grandparents on my father's side. It's both awe-inspiring and headache-inducing trying to figure it out. 
I mostly just gloss over it and say, cool, whenever I find a copy laying around. Now, while this family tree is indeed cool, and we're going to need to get back to it a little later, paperclip to this copy of the family tree is another document entitled The Royal Norwegian Ancestry. This document connects one of my dad's uncles, who carried on the surname of Peterson, which was my grandma's maiden name, all the way back to around the year 840. That's only three digits. You're saying. Years have four digits. You're also saying. That's true now, but over a thousand years ago, they didn't. The year they were able to trace back to isn't even the neatest part. No, sir. The neatest part, the part that I have clung to when I feel like my life is not that cool, is that my bloodline can be traced back to King Gudrad of Agdir, a.k.a. the Hunting King. I know. That's some Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones stuff right there. And while you're probably saying, who is he? I can tell you that I don't really know either. Google offers some questionable results, and the people who might know, the ones who assembled this list, have sadly passed on, taking the juiciest of details with them. What I can confirm is that also in my bloodline, about 40 years after old King Gudrod, was a fellow by the name of King Harald Haftansson, better known as Harald the Fair-Haired. This guy is certainly Googleable, as he is regarded as the king who squashed the petty beefs between all of the country's kingships and turned Norway into a single realm in about 885. You're welcome. What does this have to do with anything? We'll get there, but back to the tippy-top of my family tree first. In 1866, the same year that the Statue of Liberty was dedicated by President Cleveland, Coca-Cola was invented and the first trainload of oranges was shipped along the Transcontinental Railroad, my great-great-grandma, Gunhild Olstadter Galstad, was born in Norway. The documents are questionable, but sometime between 1885 and 1890, great-great-grandma Gunhild boarded a ship bound for the United States. Destination, Minnesota. Sometime later, she makes her move from Minnesota to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where she meets a young and ruggedly handsome Norwegian named Peter Peterson. Long story short, they fall in love, get married, and have nine children. Nine. That included my great-grandfather Anton, followed by Pauline, Gina, Ragna, Paul, Olga, John, whose middle name was Olaf, Annie, and finally Margaret, who was born in 1910. Gunhild and Peter spent the next 33 years together finding other things to do besides making babies. They died four days apart in December of 1943. Their last home was in the village of Lorium, Michigan. Let's get back to the boat and a much younger Gunhild. All she had with her on that long voyage was her dreams of a better life in America and a handcrafted wooden trunk with her name and destination etched into it. The years between 1880 and 1893 marked the second major wave of Norwegian emigration, with about 18,000 people leaving annually, or around 350 people a week. With the emigration numbers rising, more ships were being produced, with more companies getting into the game. A Danish company launched the Thingvalla Line. While the promise of an all-Scandinavian crew was a big draw, this line of ships experienced numerous crashes and sinkings. Hundreds of lives were lost over that period, but not great-great-grandma Gunhild and her trunk of possessions. Imagine for a moment, if you will, boarding an airplane with your family, hopefully anyway, but maybe even all alone. Everything you were able to pack into one suitcase is all you're going to have to start your new life. 
It makes great-great-grandma Gunhild seem that much braver, at least to me. That trunk is one of three things that sparked this episode. The reason being is it is in my possession. Don't tell the rest of my family. I walk by it every day. I rarely open it, and I've never dug down to the bottom. I can tell you that it's mostly old pictures, some documents, and enough Bibles for all nine of her kids. It's been handed down three generations now. Somehow my dad ended up with it, and all I can remember is that I used to imagine what was inside. Too afraid to ask, or maybe content in my not knowing. Maybe it was more fun to imagine. Then I got older, and hoped it would be handed down to me, so I could make a killing on eBay selling old Norwegian trinkets. Then I got even older, and recently unearthed it, and I am just thankful to have it now, whatever is inside. I've still yet to go through it in its entirety. Maybe I will someday. I like learning about my family. I also like imagining things about my family. I believe it's fun and necessary to learn about where you came from. I also think it's fun-er, more fun, more enjoyable to imagine what could have been. Alright, so far, I am the descendant of numerous kings and owner of a trunk that made the trek from Norway to Minneapolis 140 years ago. Where am I headed with all this? Almost there. We still have the pesky Bogola to contend with. As I was laying in bed last night, a thought crossed my mind. More of an image, actually. Picture this. It's Christmas time, 1985. My parents are hanging ornaments and decorating for the holiday. I'm finishing my Christmas list to Santa, which consists of mostly Transformers, GoBots, He-Man, and G.I. Joe. Possibly a Muppet Baby, but for sure not Teddy Ruxpin, because I need stuffed animals to cuddle, not have a conversation with. Five Nights at Freddy's. More like Five Nights at Teddy's. Am I right? Suddenly, out of nowhere, my father pulls out tiny little elven creatures. He handles them with gentle hands, as they are valuable and special. To me, they're neither. Crudely made, cotton hats and beards, pipe cleaner arms, thin cardboard bases, they are what I would come to realize was a common theme among 1940s and 1950s holiday decorations. Pure nightmare fuel. Go ahead, look it up for yourself. The kind of things that are not realistic looking at all, but horrific looking enough to be realistic in your mind. Does that make sense? They had this kind of perpetual, we shove things in your nose while you're sleeping, boy, look on their face. I swear one winked at me once. All I've known over the years is that they are collectible, at least to my father, and hard to find. I knew them to be Scandinavian in origin and that their kind are called Bogala. In my mind, I had built up this elaborate Smurf-like land where they came from in Norway or Finland and knew that they would only stay pleasant in demeanor if offered some sort of yearly Christmas sacrifice. Fast forward to last night and one just pops into my head. All plastic smiles and woolly beard. I spend hours searching the internet for anything resembling Bogala. The biggest problem being that I couldn't, at three in the morning, remember what he had called them. I found plenty of creepy old elf decorations, but nothing like my dad's Bogola friends. This morning, the first thing I do, roll out of bed, text him, asking about his little elves. Bogola, he says. I haven't thought about them in forever. I quickly hit the Google machine and got zero results for anything close to a Christmas elf. I looked up the word. It's neither Finnish or Norwegian. Well, maybe that's just what we called them, Dad says. 
Upon having my memory refreshed as to what exactly they looked like, I was able to find a picture of these Bogola. A few things. A. They're dwarfs. They're not elves. B. There's a 60% chance they are Japanese in origin. C. They came in six-packs from a company called Shiny Bright that apparently had the Christmas decor market cornered in the 40s and 50s. D. They are indeed hard to find and valuable-ish. So without wanting to break my father's heart and tear down his tales of traditional, mischievous Norwegian baloney bogolas, I started thinking about how this stuff gets started. It's an incredible idea to me how someone can merely make up facts and people will stand in line, eat it up, and even improve on it, embellish it, make it their own. How do these folk tales and myths continue on for centuries? How do we continue to pass on these engaging, wonderful stories to future generations when we spend most of the day with our faces buried in our phones instead of listening to Grandpa or Nana about something cool an ancestor did? Some questions for you. Well, two actually. Number one, how can we start our own fantastical, but somehow believable story? Number two, and you may have the same question, how did we end up here in this podcast with myth and legend and folklore? That one I can answer. Between the trunk, the king, and some tiny Christmas elves, dwarves, sorry, I realized that I bought into, believed in, and even created some folk tales of my own because it's fun. True or ridiculous, it's fun to step outside of the mundane, everyday world and believe that a Viking king from the 800s rode atop his trusty steed and left cities in ruin, all while looking exactly like me. Maybe he did. It's exciting to imagine a wooden trunk full of treasure that no family member has opened since the 1800s. It is full of treasure, just not the kind I imagined in my youth. It's a good kind of creepy to think that a bunch of tiny Norwegian gnomes or dwarves or elves or whatever they were were the reason I wet my bed until I was ten. Thanks, Dad. One quick search of the internet reveals some fantastic creatures, stories, and ideas. Ideas that people helped spread, were made to seem possible, and kept alive for generations. In Norway, those people were Asbjornsen and Mo, who gathered the biggest and best folktales in their country and put them into book form. You may not know of this famous duo. That's understandable. Think of them as the Norwegian Brothers Grimm, without the catchy name. Perhaps if they were writing tales about Dapplegrim or the giant who had no heart in today's day and age, we'd give them a cool celebrity couple nickname like Mo Jornson or Asbemo. Alas, they are no longer around. So, who do we have now to carry on the rich traditions of storytelling? When was the last time a new myth was created? When was the last time you told a tale that you'd heard years before to your own children? And kids... When's the last time you've crawled up on Grandpa Dave's lap and said, Tell me the story of the Bogola again, Grampy? Sasquatch, Baba Yaga, Jin, Nandi Bear, Chupacabra, Dragons. Europe loves its dragons. Someone started all of that. A group of people sitting around a fire spouting hard-to-believe stories. But maybe, just maybe, they could be real. Maybe they are. I hope some are, at least. So... Some homework for you, the listener. If you're an adult, tell some stories. If you don't know any, and you're lucky enough to have access to someone who does, ask. You're never too old to learn. 
and your kids or nieces and nephews or class of students will be eager to learn and maybe even believe. And kids, you have homework too. Make up your own myth or legend or folktale. Send them to me. I'd love to read them and see them. You can base it on real things. Base it on your heritage. Base it on something so ridiculous it just might exist. Base it on your elf that sits on the shelf. Just don't base it on the Bogola. Those rascals belong to me. Listen, maybe don't open that chest that's full of old Bibles just yet. Let it be a pair of Viking horns and a treasure map for a while. Until next time, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you.